Hey, let's start off with a little Bible trivia. Who's up for it? You ready? Sometimes I do this. Oh, man, you ready? All right, here we go. You ready? What is the very first command of the Bible? You can answer in your head if you want. Some of you maybe are thinking, don't eat of the fruit of the vine or the tree. Well, it's actually the exact opposite of that. It's Genesis chapter 2, 28. God says to Adam and Eve, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth, which happens to not only be the first command of the Bible, but also the most enjoyable command to obey. And so uh, God, listen, could have uh, given us uh, in this command something that was just completely ungratifying, just a, a very formal exchange, and yet God in his divine wisdom gave us something incredibly enjoyable, incredibly powerful on a variety of different levels, uh, and this is what we get to look at today. And so since September, uh, we've been studying the New Testament book of 1 Corinthians. This is a letter from the Apostle Paul to a church that he started a few years prior on this really happening metropolitan city, Corinth in Greece. And uh, in chapters 6 and 7, he addresses uh, specifically in, in various ways sexuality. And so I'd say this, if you have some younger ears in here, feel free to slip out um, over to River Kids. Great program back there. Uh, but we end up talking about this stuff about once a year, we're, we're in a city that is very transient. We're in a city with a lot of young, progressive, metropolitan-type people, very much like Corinth, lots of new followers of Jesus in our church family. And so uh, we talk about this stuff uh, about once a year or so. And so if you're still really interested at the end of this, uh, I would encourage you to go to the church app, and we've got all kinds of resources there. Uh, we've got a sermon series last year on the book of Ruth. We get into dating a little bit, and uh, the year prior to that, we covered the Song of Solomon, which is this uh, biblical, almost erotic uh, book. And then before that, we looked at the gospel-centered marriage. And and so check out the app. I think you'll find a lot of good resources there uh, for you. But I hopefully will uh, kind of start you out uh, in the scriptures uh, this morning. And then we're going to keep going for a few weeks together in various things. And so uh, if you want to flip over to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 12 through 20, that's where we're going to land today. And while you're turning there, I'll go ahead and uh, give you my outline for the next five weeks so that you can uh, just... Wet your appetite and be ready to roll. So this week, biblical sexuality. Next week, marital intimacy. The next week, what I'm calling controlled burn. The Bible says it's better to get married than to burn. And so we're going to have a controlled burn. Uh, the next week, divorce and fidelity. And then week five, uh, talking single life. And so uh, it should be, should be really, really good. But uh, before we uh, read the scripture, and we're going to land in our scripture uh, in a little bit, uh, whenever we talk about uh, sex and marriage in here, we always go back to Genesis chapter 2, because that's what the biblical writers do. They always go back to uh, the beginning. They say, yes, we know what the, the law says, we know, but, but we need to go all the way back to the very beginning, what we call creation design or creation mandate. And that's what Paul will do here in our text today as well. And in fact, in 1 Corinthians uh, 6, 16, uh, he quotes Genesis chapter 2. He says, for it is written, or as it is written, the two will become one flesh, referring to Adam and Eve. And so uh, I know we're progressive in this city, and and I know we, you know, 
things change and, and there's some things we read in the scripture that, that God uh, says it, it changes a bit over time. Though the Lord never changes, some of the outworkings do change. But the biblical writers say this, this doesn't change. God's design for marriage, God's design for sexuality does not change. This is his original design pre-sin, Genesis chapter uh, 2, pre-Genesis chapter 3. This is how God designed it. Everything else is a cheap uh, imitation. And so think with me, if you would, back to the beginning. Uh, In the beginning, God created, give it to me, the heavens and the earth. So he creates the heavens, that is the the space, uh, stars, planets, moons, uh, suns, solar system, uh, and then he creates the the earth, and so mountains and rocks and and plants and oceans and and trees. And and then after God creates all of this, he populates it, right? And so he he, he populates his creation uh, with three kinds of creatures. Think about this, three kinds of creatures. He populates it with animals, with angels and with humans. Animals, for a minute. Let's, let's think about animals. Animals are purely physical. I know you love your dog, and your dog is awesome, but animals do not have a soul. Cats don't question, why am I here? Right? Uh, uh, aardvarks don't ponder Aristotle. This does, doesn't happen. Animals are purely physical creatures. Angels on the other hand, are purely spiritual creatures. Now, as we see in the Bible, they're able to uh, express themselves or manifest themselves in physical forms at, at, at times, but by definition, angels are pure spirits. Now, of all the thousands, tens of thousands of kinds of creatures in the universe, the, the third kind, humans are distinct. Humans are both physical and Spiritual. We are this amazing hybrid. Back in, in Genesis chapter 2, uh, in verse 7, the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground. So in the original Hebrew language, God made Adam from the Adama. The, the point is that God made Adam, God made man from earthy, physical materials. We are physical you can touch we we are physical but then it goes on in verse 7 it says and God breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man uh, became a living creature or or nephesh right like the I think I like the King James translation best instead of a living creature it says and the man became a living soul that that he has a soul that we are spiritual so that we are yes we are our physical, uh, we are, are, are made of earthy materials, but we are not only physical, like the world will, will try to tell us that we are just evolved, highly evolved animals. I often ask, uh, for those who say we're just highly evolved animals, so why are we the only animals to put clothes on? You ever wonder that? I mean, other than like Kim Kardashian's uh, Pomeranian puppy, you know, uh, we're the only animals that wear clothes if we're just highly evolved. The, the Bible has an answer for that, why we put clothes on, right? But talk about pondering the deep things of life. Right? Why do we wear clothes? We're not only physical just as the world tells you. We are also spiritual, but we're also not only spiritual. We are a highly integrated being. All of it, physical and spiritual, all of it is you. Uh, for, for example, you do not have a body. You are a body. 
Your, your body is part of you. You have, yes, your soul, your mind, your personality, and completely integrated in, you have a body. And this is very important to understand as we get into 1 Corinthians chapter 6, the union between physical body and, and soul, uh, spirit, that, it's, that this is distinct to humanity. And it's imperative for us in understanding our, our sexuality. Now, Genesis chapter 2 will go on. In verse 18, it says, And then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. So God says, I will make a helper uh, fit for him. So the, in the deep nuances, nuances of the Hebrew language, this is basically God's way of saying men need help, right? We need help. And so I'll make a helper. He, he, he gives man, woman. Now, now, by the way, in case you're hearing this and saying, so like he realized man needed help and then he makes a woman. No, that's not kind of how, that's not how it worked. Woman is not an afterthought. I want you to see what God did. Uh, Adam is, is naming all the animals. God is bringing animals before Adam, and Adam is naming them. Aardvark, cheetah, lion, or however in his language it, it, it came out, right? And as he's doing that, he's noticing there, there, there's two, there's two, there's two, there's two, and I'm, I'm alone. You see what God's doing? God is setting Adam up. God is building anticipation, uh, showing Adam that, that he is in need of a woman. He's setting mankind up to cherish women, to, to, to treasure women, to, to honor women, so that when she comes, what does he name her? Whoa, man. That's, he calls her woman, right? It, he's so amazed by her. And ladies, let me just say this. I believe that, that if there is a man in your life and he is not treasuring you and he is not honoring you and he is not uh, cherishing you, he's not the man God has for you. Because that's not how God has, has set it up, right? And so God creates man and woman and then man creates this beautiful poem, uh, Genesis chapter 2, 23. He says, this is that last bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh, she shall be called Woman, And so the very first man writing poetry, setting the bar high, ladies, men, I apologize, it's biblical here, but he's setting the bar high. And then verse 24, it says this, it says, therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, that's the marriage covenant, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Now this passage, again, they keep going back to this in the scripture. It's so important. This shows us God's design. It also shows us God's sequence. First, that a man should leave his father and mother. I don't know that that necessarily means your man has to be moved out of the house first. But I think it does say that your man needs to be grown up. Right? Don't, don't marry a boy. Girls marry a, a man who shows that he's, he's able to, 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 to leave mom and dad. He's grown up. He's, he's responsible. The second thing in the sequence is once he leaves or grows up, then he, he holds fast. They hold fast to each other. There's this covenant commitment towards one another. And then, and only then, they become one flesh. After the covenant commitment, then they become one flesh. And there's just amazing protection here that when there's a covenant and then the one flesh stuff happens there, there's care there's protection there's security and then they were naked and they were not ashamed can you imagine that no guilt no shame no comparison no wondering if I'm as good as their past partners just complete innocence 
beautiful, I think one of the most beautiful things uh, on the planet is two virgins who have saved themselves for their wedding night fumbling around in the bedroom, have no idea what they're doing. And they don't know that they have no idea what they're doing because they have nothing to compare it to. And they've got a lifetime of figuring this thing out. That's a good, protective, cherishable gift from the Lord. And that's how the Bible starts. I mean, that's how the Bible starts. In the beginning was God. God creates heavens and the earth, and he creates some things that he's going to populate heavens and earth with. Uh, physical, spiritual, and the one distinct creature, both physical and spiritual. That's how it starts. And then his last m- most prized creation, man and, and woman. And then he says, and now I've given you this amazing gift that you're going to fill the earth. And it's going to be a great gift that is powerful and and, and beautiful. Sex is created by God, not Hollywood, not Hefner, God. God says, this is good. This is a gift. This is my plan. In Genesis chapter 2, long before Genesis chapter 3, when sin comes into the world and distorts it all. There at the beginning. I just, I say that because some of us don't know what to do with it. Are we allowed to talk about this in church? Listen, your sexuality is a beautiful part of how God has created you. It's good, it's right, it's healthy, it's holy, it's a gift. Sex is, is beautiful. It's also powerful. Because the first mention of, of sex in the Bible, verse 24, they shall become one flesh. One flesh. In the Hebrew language, the word is ekad. And, and, and this is a strong, emotional word that, that elicits a lot of power and, and, and emotion. Where, where two separate beings become one. Where does the man end and the woman begin? It's, it's blurry. Ekad is when at the deepest level... Two souls become one. It's mysterious, it's soul-shifting, it's powerful, which is why, according to the Bible, the only context strong enough, able to, to adequately handle such a powerful thing, this raw, untamed power, the only context able to, to handle that is marriage. One man, one woman, for life, for better for, for worse, richer, poor, sickness and health, the, the marriage covenant. It protects, it, it honors. People act like God is, is down on sex. Not at all. He created it. It was his idea. And he has given you a context for the ultimate enjoyment of his very good gift. People act like the, the, the Bible and its view on sex is lame, it's boring, it's lacking passion, it's lacking power. In light of all that we've, we've talked about already, what's lame? You were just two highly evolved animals satisfying primal instincts? Or you were two integrated beings coming together, body and soul, and reasserting your commitment and your covenant and your oneness to the glory of God? I'll choose the latter. Now, in light of all of that, 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul is writing this letter to this young, hip, 
immature group of Christians in Corinth. And one of the big problems that Paul has been addressing in Corinth to this church is what he calls porneia, beginning in chapter 5, or this is sexual immorality, porneia, where we get our word uh, porn or pornography, uh, and, and, and all kinds of sexuality outside of what we see in Genesis chapter 2, where the man and his wife are naked and, 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 and not ashamed. Anything outside of that is porneia, whether it's sleeping with your boyfriend and your girlfriend, adultery, fooling around on the, on the couch, pornography, uh, sexually explicit films, and we could go on and on and on. Uh, anything outside of God. God's beautiful design is porneia. And it's all Genesis chapter 3 sexuality, not Genesis chapter 2 sexuality. It's distorted. It's not under the covenant protection. It's not one man, one woman, for life, no comparison, no shame, just pure, raw, untamed oneness. And, and, and these Christians, they are Christians. We established that at the very beginning. They're, they're just very immature Christians. These, these Christians are being sucked back into Corinth's distortion of, of sexuality. Uh, porneia on all kinds of different forms, but the main form of porneia in this culture, in this day, was prostitution. Corinth was this bustling port city merchants and travelers and sailors. God bless the sailors. The, the sailors uh, coming in at all hours of the night. And so the pornography or, or the prostitution industry was thriving. It was legal. It was socially acceptable. There were prostitutes literally just everywhere on the streets, in the, the temples, at brothels, in Roman what they called after parties, these orgies for, for very wealthy people. In, in fact, prostitution was so rampant in Corinth that in, in, Corinth, that, in that day, across the, the, the world, prostitution was also referred to as Corinthianizing. I mean, that's how rampant it was. This is the city that these people lived in. This is the culture that they were getting sucked back into. And so what Paul's going to do is he's going to say, you got to knock it off. But first, as Paul often does, is he's going to give them kind of a theological foundation for the command that he's going to give them. So the, the theological foundation here in, in 1 Corinthians 6, 12. Uh, remember, real quick, the, the last time we left off uh, in, in 1 Corinthians in verse 11, he says, you were washed. So he's convinced they're believers. You were washed of your sins. You were washed. You were sanctified, set apart. You were justified. You're, you're cleansed. You're set apart. You were declared righteous. You have a new identity in Jesus in light of all of this. This is how you live out your, your life. You're like uh, an orphan who has been adopted into the royal family, but you're going back to sitting under the table and just trying to eat the scraps. He says, no, you've got a seat at the table you, you're to act like royalty. Now live as, as nobility. Live out of your new identity. He says you were washed. You were, you were sanctified. You were justified. All this other stuff. You're living out of your old identity. This is who you are now though in Jesus, right? So, so now, 1 Corinthians 6, 12. Coming off of that in verse 11, he says, all things are lawful for me. Question, is that true? All things are no, it's not true. Notice it's in, in quotation marks. Now, here's what Paul's going to do for the next uh, couple verses here. It's, it's a style that was popular in that day and age for, for teaching. He will quote a popular saying from that day, and then he'll say, but that's wrong. 
but that's wrong, and, and, and that's off. And it's kind of tricky because uh, in, in Greek, there's, there's really no such thing as quotation marks. And so the translators put them in there to kind of help us understand what's going on. And there's one spot that I even think the translators maybe got it wrong. Uh, and some of the newer translations, they add the quotes. They, they put that end quote a little bit later. Uh, but they're, they're trying to help us out here. And, and he, he's, he's, he's using these quotations, and then he's following up. And it would kind of be like me saying, Nike. Just do it. But it could be something so risky that you die, right? So that, I'm not saying, yes, just do it all the time. I'm saying, here's a, here's a phrase, but it's kind of not always a, a great idea. I'm not advocating for just do it. And Paul, I don't believe, is, is advocating for do whatever you want. All things are lawful for me. No, Paul starts, he says, verse 12, all things are lawful for me. That's their saying. But then he adds, but not all things are helpful. And then he quotes it again, all things are lawful for me, they're saying. But then he adds, but I will not be enslaved by anything. And so he quotes the same line twice. He's going to do it again later in, in chapter 10. Because there was this group of, of people in this church who were, were using uh, this popular saying to justify all sorts of crazy sexual things, pornea. Here's the thing. Many Christians will often, even today, talk about Christian freedom. You hear that a lot? We have freedom. We are free in Christ. And they'll say, we're free from the law, and we are free now to grace. But often, people will use the Christian freedom to justify behavior that's just not honoring to God. And Kevin preached an awesome sermon about this in 1 Corinthians a while back. And Paul says, come on, guys. You are freed from the eternal bondage of sin through Jesus, but now you're justifying horrible behavior with gospel, God-given liberty? He says, you're free, but now you're actually becoming enslaved to all kinds of sexual sin. Do you see the irony? I'm free by grace, but now I'm enslaved to new sins. He goes on, verse 13. Another saying, food is meant for the stomach, and stomach... For food, that's where they put the, the end quote, even though it's not in the original language. I would say it goes on. Food's meant for the stomach and stomach for food, and God will destroy both one and the other, end quote, as some of the newer translations will put. Food is meant for the stomach and stomach for food. This was a popular saying in that day regarding sex. What they mean is, if you're hungry, you got to eat. And similarly, if you got a sexual appetite, you just... You just get whatever you need to satiate it. Sex is just like food. Again, talk about a low view of sexuality. Food is meant for the stomach, stomach for food. Eh, God will destroy them both anyhow. End quote. Don't worry about your stomach. Don't worry about your body. Just whatever feels good because it's, it's all going to be destroyed anyhow. Now, this was a teaching that we know, uh, if some of you can think back to like freshman college philosophy as, as dualism. Corinth is about 50 miles south of, of Athens, home to the great Greek philosophers like Plato and Aristotle and, and Socrates. And, and if I can just kind of try to really butcher this and, and, and simplify this, uh, Plato's teaching on dualism is, is coming into to play here. Uh, and it's very different from the Bible. Plato basically taught that there was a material world, and that was evil and temporal, and then there's a spiritual world, and that's good, and that's 
eternal. Two worlds, one physical, bad, one uh, spiritual, eternal, and that's good. Now, now from this, he taught the immortality of the soul, that, that the real you is the you inside, underneath the skin. But one day your body's going to be destroyed. You'll be free from your body, which he says your body is like a prison for the soul. You'll be free. You'll be set free from the captivity of the body. You'll be like a free spirit, and then you can go and live together with the gods. Now, some of you may be thinking, uh, that sounds right, doesn't it? I mean, that, isn't, that, isn't that right? Which shows just how much platonic, dualistic thinking has crept into our culture today. Isn't that, isn't that right? In fact, I think a lot of our culture, our society is platonic thinking and, and, and also a little bit of biblical values mixed into that's America, right? But, but this kind of thinking that my, my soul is good, eternal, my body, sick, sin-ridden, dispensable, leads to all kinds of bad places. In, in Paul's day, it, it led to, well, sex is just physical. It's no different than eating a sandwich. Just fill yourself up. Food for the body, the body for food. God's going to destroy it all anyhow. It's all going to be gone anyhow. So Paul answers back. Look what he says. Verse 13. He says, no, the body is not meant for sexual immorality, porneia but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. So he does what he does so often. He brings them back to, hey, let's think biblically. Biblical thinking here is, is that no, the real you is not just your soul. The real you is all of you. Your, your soul and your body. And your body is meant for the Lord. And the Lord for your, your body. That, that means that your relationship with Jesus takes place where? In my heart. <laughs> Remember like as a kid asking Jesus into your heart? And that confused the mess out of me. Anybody else get confused by that as a kid? Like I, I thought about it. Like, so Jesus, he, he like comes down. He gets really small. And I always pictured, you know, they would say, there's a door in your heart. Open the door to Jesus. And I'm like, Literally, Jesus is like, well, yeah, I mean, I guess if Santa Claus can slither down the chimney, Jesus could fit into my heart. Okay, and I literally thought that way for a while. And I even got so screwed up that at one point in my life, I thought Santa Claus was Jesus. I'm no, no lie. I'm lying in bed. I'm like, Jesus, pray. I'm praying to Santa Claus as a five. It was horrible. I mean, the theology was totally whack. So parents, I don't know what you do with Santa Claus, but just where is your relationship with God takes place Where? All of you. Not just this invisible heart. We, we mature as adults. And we say, no, no, the heart is the mind, the soul, the spirit. No, all of you, physically as well. Paul goes on in, in, in verse uh, 14, says, And God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his, his power. So, so Easter speaks to your sexuality. I should have preached a sex sermon last week on Easter Sunday. That would have been crazy. He's saying just like Jesus was physically resurrected, you need to know that you too in your body will be physically resurrected. Some of you guys were here last week. You remember the the rope and the anchor and and Jesus, that's our trajectory. Jesus uh, walked the path that we're going to walk and yeah, he walked it perfectly. He lived on earth. He he, he died, and though he died, yet he lives, he resurrects, and we too follow that path. We resurrect to, to, to new life, and Jesus uh, returned and, and, and then ascends in, into heaven. And, and, and so we need to understand that, 
that though he died, he came back. And he came back not as like this spirit floating, you know, in a white robe and go into all the world. He came back as a human in a body, right? He came back as a human. In fact, what was one of the first things Jesus says? He's like, hey, anybody got some food? I mean, I don't know if like resurrection works up an appetite, but have you, did you, have you ever noticed in his appearances how, how frequently Jesus is eating? I mean, he, he's, he, the, there's the occasion they have the little campfire uh, by the, the shore there with the disciples and they have some, some fish. There's the occasion on the seven mile road and at the end he eats some food. There's the upper room and he eats some, some, some food. And, and I think in part because he's, he's showing, hey, I've got a body, a physical body. Thomas, you're doubting. Put your hand right here, right here on my, my side where I was pierced at the end. And here Paul is reminding us, just as Jesus was raised bodily, we too, Christians, will be raised bodily. Now we're going to get more into resurrection in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, but, but quickly, for those people who place faith in Jesus, when we die, the moment of our death, our spirits, Bible says, uh, absent from the body, present with the Lord. At the very moment, blink of an eye, you get hit by a car, whatever the, whatever the you die uh, in, your, in a hospital bed, of, uh, in your sleep at night, the very moment, boom, you are now in the presence of Jesus. Where Jesus is, you are, right? Our, our body, though, remains in the ground. But there's a time... We don't know exactly when and what that looks like fully, but there's a time when Jesus will come back to earth, bringing our souls, our spirits with him, and our spirits will crash back into our our bodies, and we will get now resurrected. We'll get a new, glorified body, free from the ailments of, 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 of all that we've experienced on this side of the grave, free from pain and death. And and who knows what our physical bodies at that point, but we will have these glorified bodies for all of eternity. And then we'll have this eternal uh, place, real place, not like this fluffy place in the clouds that's like ethereal. No, real place with God, new heaven, new earth, new Jerusalem for all eternity. And so Paul is saying this, your body on this side of the grave is not some like throwaway. Your body is not like, you know, my, my wife uh, uh, picked up some stuff from Target the other day. Uh, probably lots of stuff, actually. Um, the new Target in our neighborhood is really not good. Pray for us. I mean, it's, <laughs> I mean, our budget is not going to be happy. But uh, they, she came home and, and she, they had these new Target bags that I'd never seen before. Not the cloth ones, but it was, it was a plastic uh, bag, but I, I was like, what's it feeling? I mean, it looks so interesting. And I read there was, a, there was a, a spot on the bag and it said something like, this bag is meant to be reused 25 times before discarding. In case of emergency, this bag is edible. No, I didn't say that part, but I mean, it looked like it. One of those, like, you could eat. Did you, I, somebody one time told me, remember the Crocs face, the Crocs shoes? Somebody told me, you can actually eat your Crocs if you're starving. I'm like, I don't think so. But the, these, these Target bags, and, and sometimes I feel like we kind of think about our bodies like, you know what? We're going to use it, use it, use it, use it, and then eventually it's just gone. We die. It withers. We're dead. We're in the ground, right? Yes, but God will bring us to a place where we have a glorified body. It doesn't mean that if you die from some serious physical ailments, wow, too bad. That's what you're going to have to live with. No, he's going he's to glorify our bodies, and it's going to be amazing. It's going to be amazing, but we just have to be mindful that we have to steward our bodies well. 
But we have to be careful to steward it, it well and, and be careful there. It's, it's an eternal part of you. It's not going to look exactly the same, but you're not going to be like completely unrecognizable. They, they, it's Jesus right in front of us. Read on though. Look at 1 Corinthians 6 now and, and 15. He says, do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that the one who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. He quotes back to Genesis. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. He's saying your body is eternal because your body is a part of you. It is the real you in addition to your soul, your, your spirit. And your body is Christ because you've been joined to Jesus in your salvation. And you're saying yes in faith to Jesus. And so every sexual interaction is so much more than physical. Every sexual interaction is you becoming one with someone. And you are also one with Jesus. You become one with someone while being one with Jesus. And you are joined to the Lord and now you're joined to another person. Do not take that lightly. Now, in light of all that theological groundwork that, that Paul lays, he gives us, gives us a command. And this command applies to every single one of us whether you're single and ready to mingle, whether you're married, whether you're widowed, whether you're divorced, every single one of us, let's read, uh, picking up in verse 18 all the way through the end of our, our passage today. In light of all of that, flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body. But the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you? whom you have from God, you are not your own, for you were bought with the price. So glorify God in your body. In light of all this theology, he gives us this command. Flee sexual immorality. All other sin outside of the body. This sin is, is, is unique. Not that this one sin is worse than any other sin. Like sin is sin, but, but this one is unique in that it has these deep, holistic implications. And he says, and your body is, is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you. The Bible teaches that when we become a follower of Jesus, he does somehow, we don't fully understand, but he takes up residence within us. And, and so you bring him to the workplace. I love the fact that when we're, we scatter from this place, we bring the Spirit of God with us to the workplace, and we are light. We are a lamppost in our workplace. You are a lamppost in your neighborhood. You are a lamppost at your, your school. You are, you are a lamppost uh, at your family gatherings. You are a, a lamppost wherever you go, but you bring the Spirit of God with you wherever you go, and, and, and He takes up residence within you, but He also goes with you into the bedroom, onto the sofa, onto that website, that social feed. What is the command that He gives us? He says, flee. Flee. Now think about how the Bible speaks to other sins. We, we look through the Bible, other sins. You hear things like stand firm. You hear things like resist the devil. You hear things like fight. But what does he say with regards to sexual sin? Flee. Like run for your freaking life. 
This is so brutal. You have no, some of you say, no, I do have an idea. I, I, yes, run for your life. This one is nearly impossible to resist. Paul says, don't even come close, run away. Proverbs 6 says, can a man carry fire next to his chest and his clothes not be burned? Or can one walk on hot coals and his feet not be scorched? So is he who goes into his neighbor's wife. It says, don't play with fire. She will burn you to the unmarried. What do you think is going to happen? We want to honor Jesus as a couple. We want to live for Jesus. You snuggle up on the sofa and light some candles and you played some Ed Sheeran. What do you think is going to happen? Are you serious? You're playing with fire. Well, I feel like we try to get as close to the line as we possibly can. That's not fleeing. That's teasing. That's taunting. Think you can get me? He says, yes, I can. Satan says, I've been doing this for a very, 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 very long time. I'm good at making people fall. That's why we see people fall and we're like, how could they have ever cheated? I, I thought they were so solid. I thought just, uh, their marriage was, was imitatable. What, how did that ever happen? We've got to honor God with our body. And, and listen, don't play. Don't play. Do not play. He is so worth it. Fellas, every single cold shower you got to take to flee, you got to do what you got to do. For those who struggle with pornography, flee means I don't care if I'm going to look like a fool. I'm going to do whatever I got to do. I'm gonna, it's, if it's drastic, I got I to gotta run. It means if you got to do something as drastic as cut off my internet, like I'm going to the library to, to check my email, you got to do what you got to do. He is so worth it. God, I want to honor you. I want, to, I want to honor you. To married men and women, we need to be horrified, horrified at the thought of destroying our marriages, at the thought of what we could potentially drag our children through should we cheat on our spouse. I see so many families get destroyed because co-ed people working together, that's totally fine. I mean, that's, that's how it goes, but, but just... Couple extra conversations at the water cooler, getting a little too close, getting a little too friendly. Somebody's got frustrations back at home in the marriage. They open up to somebody else about it. And, oh, man, he's a, I don't like the way he handles the money. He's 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 busy, and they start to confide. And it, there's this there's there's almost always an emotional affair before the physical affair. It's not like the movies where they just see each other at the bar. You want to go, and then they just go jump in bed. That's not how it works. It starts with getting a little too close to the, the line. And so you've got to set some boundaries. This is not, this is not like stand firm. This is get away, run, flee. I've got boundaries in my, my own life. I don't hang out in the office alone with somebody of the opposite sex for counsel. We'll figure that's not how it's going to work. I don't ride in the car with, with a, a, a woman. That's, that's not going to happen. Call me a prude if you want, but I got kids. I got an amazing marriage. I got a vibrant relationship with Jesus. I don't want to see this stuff destroyed. I know that I too am only human. I, I too could fall. And every single one of us have to be horrified to think I, I could fall. In fact, I feel like the reason we look around and we see these people and we're shocked, like spiritual leaders falling all over the place, we're shocked at it. 
how could they, they're so, what happens so often is they get so cocky and so full of themselves. People want to listen to my messages and they, they love me. They sing my praises after church. That was so good. You blessed my heart. And they get full of themselves. They think they're untouchable. They don't think they're human any longer. And we've got to realize we're all human. And if every one of us could say, I could fall, I am horrified destroying my family. I think that'll cause us to set some really clear boundaries. I'm horrified my my kid's going to fall off the cliff. And so you're not even going close to that because I love you so much. I'm not going close because I just love my family so much. I love my Lord so much. Clear boundaries. Don't play with fire. Flee. Now, to a room like this, I know this for sure, that there are many, 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 many of us who have probably crossed the line. I want you to know this. God's grace knows no boundaries. Not a single one of you have gone too far that God won't take you back. Not a single one of you have gone too far that God says, I'm done with you. Wow, that was, that was too bad. No, you look at the Bible and you just see just a bunch of boneheads. <laughs> God says, I'm gonna use all these people because I want to show you that you're not too far gone. Back up to verse 11. If you're a follower of Jesus, you were washed. You are clean. All of your sins past and all of your sins future. You are clean. You are justified. That God looks at you and he doesn't say damaged goods. God looks at you and what does he see? He sees Jesus. Jesus comes in front of you and takes the Mack truck for you gets up on that cross for you. And so God looks at you and he sees righteousness. The Bible says you were clothed with righteousness. And so what are you to do? You're to confess your sins to God. You're to confess your sin to, to those that you have sinned against. And you're to receive the grace that God gives you. And maybe the person that you sin against isn't going to give you the grace at the rate that God has given it to you because that person is not God. But you're humble enough to say, I'm willing to go through the process so that I can, I can see restoration take place. So confess and, and know that God loves you. God loves you. If you've trusted in Jesus, he sees Jesus. If you have not trusted in Jesus, he says, I still, I still got a good plan for your life. Here, here's how we close. Look at verse 19 and 20 again. You are not your own. You are bought with the price so glorify God with your body. He says, I paid a massive price for you. That's how much I love you. No matter how bad you've, you've screwed this thing up, it's, you're not too far gone. I've got a good plan for you. I love you. You were bought with a price. That's how, that's how worth it you are for me. And so we close this way. We close even a sermon on sexuality by thinking about the cross thinking about the, the cross and, and the great price that Jesus has paid for you. You are worth that sacrifice to him. You are highly valuable to God. And some of you in here, you've never received the gift of grace that Jesus has given you by coming to earth and living sinless and then dying a death that he didn't deserve, but dying that death in your place as your substitution so that you can have Christ's righteousness you can be clothed in his righteousness. It can cover any, any shame you feel from your past. It gives you a hope and a future. 
And so if that's you and you've never given your life to Jesus, I'm going to do this every single week we gather together like this. I'm going to say, would you come to Jesus? Would you give your life to Jesus today? Turn from sin and dependence and say, wow, what an amazing God. And yes, I'll receive that gift of grace. I'm going to turn away from, from, from the past and I'm going to turn to a new life and a new future that Jesus has given me. If that's you, I want you to give your life to Jesus. Call upon the name of Jesus and, and be made right with God. If you're a Christian in here, as we've said, maybe, maybe you've made some mistakes and you need to be reminded of the cross of Jesus again. You need to be reminded that you are washed, you're sanctified, you're justified. It's all yours. It hasn't changed. So deal with your sin how you need to deal with it, but know that God loves you. God's still got a good plan for you. Can we pray? Let's pray. God, thank you. Thank you for just the gift of Jesus. God, thank you that, um, that you've given us a, a gift in, in sex and in covenant marriage and intimacy. What, a, what an amazing God you are. And, and Father, I just pray that if there's anybody in here who's never receiving, received the, the gift of, of grace that's been given to them in Jesus and his life and his death and his resurrection, and his leadership over our lives, that, that today they would call on your name and say, Jesus, I want to turn from sin, and I want to turn to follow you. Forgive me of my past, and give me the hope and the future that you promise I'll take it. And God, I pray for those in here who, they love you. Like the Corinthians, maybe they've, they've had some distortions happening. May they know that you still love them, you still got a good plan for them. I commit them to you. Help us to respond how we need to respond. And help us to be a people who don't shy away from this stuff, but are excited that, that, that the world is confused. We've got good answers from the one who designed it, who created it. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.